0: I would want you to hear that there's nothing wrong with you that what you've done has been an incredibly effective way to keep yourself safe but now that thing that has kept you safe is getting in the way of who it is that you potentially could be and who you potentially could be is somebody that can handle the things that you've been scared of Hey, Chance, can you turn the music down out there? Yeah, I sure can. Just uh, a little bit. It's all good. We're just about to start recording. We're just going to give you a heads right. up. Yes, sir. Okay, love you. He didn't say it back, dude. No, nah, I, I hung out before, <laughs> he could, <laughs> before he could hurt my feelings. Ready okay, can I start going? You can start. So I'll start with the story. And, like, uh, do you remember the show Dragnet? Y'all, y'all probably don't know what Dragnet is. Dragnet was, like, the first cop show on television. My dad used to watch like Andy Griffith, Gomer Pyle, and on that channel, it's channel seven uh, in Terrell. I don't know what it is, the rest of the world. There's a show called Dragnet. In the beginning of every episode, it said the the stories are real, but the names have been changed to protect the innocent. So this story is real, but I'm gonna change some of the details so this person can remain. Anonymous and this story, even though it's specific and it is a real person, I think is very general and as you listen to this, I want you to imagine maybe a scenario that's more real to you but let's let's say that that all of us are there together, and we have this client and this client is a female she's in her mid forties she is in and this isn't a value judgment it's just a fact she's She's 30 to 40 pounds overweight. She's coming to you because she wants to lose weight. Pretty straightforward. You two have sat down, we've all sat down as a group, and we've decided that this is something that she cares about, and she has good reasons for why she cares about it. She knows that to set an example to other people that she really wants to lose this weight. And she has also, which is an important ingredient of goal setting, she's put the the impetus on herself. That means like she's not saying that this is a goal that somebody else can accomplish, but it's her own actions and behaviors that is going to accomplish the goal. You guys determine some strategies that you can do that will get her closer to the goal. And are you ready for it? Nothing happens, she doesn't do what She says that she will do. However, it looks like she's motivated. It looks like she's not blowing smoke up your butt. She's not saying like, I'll do it, but then she doesn't really care. Like, she came to you. This is a goal that she has teased out that's really important to her, but she doesn't do it. That scenario, I think, is really common. In the fitness world, I think there's a bad rap that coaches get. And it's something that annoys. It it annoys me to no depth Mm -hmm. that a trainer, a coach is painted as somebody that's not a deep thinker painted as like a meathead. I mean, there's all these terms, gym rat meathead, like somebody that that's incapable of deep thinking. And most of the people that I've met that are in this industry, are not like that, they're not idiots. They care deeply for people, but yet the stereotype still exists. And this is why I think the stereotype exists. It's because they are applying a thought process to goal setting that has worked for them that will not work for most people. And I'll explain. When any of us, and just for the record, we're in a gym right now. <laughs> So if you hear like somebody screaming, no one's in trouble. If you hear like loud music, we're not at a rock concert. We're in the back of a gym. But back to what we were talking about. When you think of your own life, if you are a coach, and that is who this podcast is for, there's probably things that you were ignorant about, that you got educated about, and then you just did them. Like that was your process. That was your algorithm for accomplishing goals. I don't know how to eat. I'll learn how to eat and then I just eat better. Hey, I'm overweight, I figured out how to train, and now I'm not overweight. And so you apply that to everybody, and you say, well clearly this is how it worked for me, so it's also how it will work for everyone else. And what you are basing that assumption on is that what the limiting factor is, is that people are lazy. That's what you're saying is true. That if I can educate you, and if I can motivate you, then that should be enough. Now, before we started shooting, we were talking about, hey, if you were to receive a, um, a bad diagnosis from a physician, surely that would be enough motivation to change. And what's interesting is, is I've done that research and you would think like, man, if you've been told that you have some life altering condition, that would be enough motivation. There isn't anything that could be more motivating than to say like, hey, if you don't change your ways, you're gonna die. But if we had 10 people, the research shows that like two would actually fall through. So if that's true, there's something else going on. And I think from our own insecurities as coaches, maybe a lack of an alternative. When someone that that nice lady that I was describing sits across from you and you've given them something that's very clear and actionable and they don't do it. I know what goes on in your head because it's gone on in my head as well. This person doesn't really want it. This person's lazy. This person's full of shit. And because of that, the stereotype of a coach is that you're only gonna deal with people that can do things exactly the same way that you can do them. And so I want to posit an alternative that it's not just laziness, but that there's something else going on. There's a concept that that's happening across lots of different industries and it's called a root cause dysfunction and that's to say that what we see on the surface isn't really the mechanism that's making that thing happen it's to say that if we can see like this little iceberg above the surface of the water there's potentially a much larger Part of the iceberg that's below to use that iceberg analogy and I 'll try to riff off of that the part that's above the water only requires you to swim to the part that's below the water requires you to scuba dive it's a different skill set, so you could be the world's best exercise instructor and and if we equate that to swimming it's like man, you could be a, a world class breaststroker but it's not necessarily the same skill set that you would need to go on to this spirited inquiry to figure out like what's missing here and so back to this person that that hypothetically is sitting across from us i want to give you a little more color and context because i think it will support this notion that it's not just a motivation thing we don't need to say like well she just doesn't want it bad enough there's something else going on and here's why To say that somebody doesn't want it bad enough, to say that they have no motivation, you would want to test that out. You would wanna see that that person has no motivation across all areas of their life, and if they have been disciplined in something, and if they have been motivated in some way, then you can't say that they're not a motivated person. This person, true story, was the first female named partner at a law firm in town, and she went to Harvard for law school. Let that sit in for just a sec. You can't tell me that this person doesn't know how to do hard things and that she's not okay being in an uncomfortable situation. She's a G, but there's something about this particular thing that doesn't add up with the rest of her life. If you look at the rest of her life, she's incredibly successful across all domains. She's a great friend. She's a great mother. She's obviously world-class at what she does professionally but she's overweight. So there's something else going on. And so if it's not laziness and clear with this person, we can't say that that's true, what else could it be? My hypothesis, my thesis, and I will support this, is that it's fear. It's a fear that doesn't live anywhere that you can swim to. It's a fear that you got to scuba dive to. Now another pointless story is when I was in college, you had to take a um, an elective. Was it like that for y'all? Mm-hmm. What
1: did you take? Uh, I think mine was like physical education. <laughs> it was it it aligned with, I guess, like at the time, I guess, what is that like your your associates or just like your prereqs?
2: Yeah, like your associates. Like I took golf and yoga <laughs> my freshman
1: year yeah, we had like ping pong and like a bunch of it was just like pointless random classes you stuff that just to took up time amazing Vasco was just collecting
0: amazing and you can't see him but caleb and, and isaiah who who helped do the podcast or are, are on here with me so we'll we'll probably be be hearing voices without seeing faces um yeah a was the same way or it's like you know wild stuff that you could take and one was scuba diving. And I was like, oh, well, that's cool because I can, well, one, I have to take this. Two, my parents are paying for it. And you can get scuba certified, like, through the process. And I thought that was cool because, you know, it's like a Navy SEAL component and, you know, like a James Bond, you know, aspect to it. Uh, have you all ever scuba dived? It's different than you think. It's scary. It's It's scary. Yeah, it's scary. Water. Uh, You know, like all the the sexy stuff that you see, there's like a lot of boring and and really unpleasant things about it. Um, The one that's at the the top of the list for me would be the um, pressurizing. Right. When you go down, you have to you have to clear and you have to go really slow. You have to go really slow when you go down because of the pressure and you have to go really slow when you come back up or like, you know, weird things can happen so i use that analogy because to to go through this process you can't go as fast as you can to go through this process you're you're clearing and you're going deeper but you're blind like the other person is the one that can see the things that are going on and when i talk about stuff that's outside the realm of traditional like fitness the number one pushback i get is like hey i'm not a counselor i can't i can't have these conversations and uh I want to say that you're not you're not writing a script for Prozac (laughs) you're not you're not telling somebody to go like divorce their spouse and like irrevocably change their life this is the only thing you're doing you're just asking questions you're just creating a path that the client is actually going to, it's almost like you're mopping backwards. And eventually they're gonna have mopped themselves into a corner and you'll arrive at the thing that they needed to arrive at. You're not, you're not doing much of any uh, um, consulting here. There might be some brainstorming, but I wanna calm those worries of the person that says, oh, I'm a fitness coach and I can't have this conversation. All you need is a good attitude, Uh, You need to have trust with that person, which means that they have confidence that your intentions are the best for them. And you just got to ask these questions that I'm about to lay out for you. That's it. You don't need a Ph.D. to ask to ask these questions. And so we're going to go through it. I hope this makes sense. I have the fellows on here that if I say something that, you know, needs some clarification, that they'll they'll speak up. Uh, I want to say that I'm indebted to the work of Laura Leahy and Richard Keegan. These these aren't completely thoughts of my own. I'm going to make it sound cooler than what they did, but I didn't make up any of this stuff. Uh, so you have somebody here, and you can tell that their desire is genuine, but their behaviors are completely contrary to what they said that they want. Number one, clarify what it is that they said that they want. And this needs to be something that's actionable, not, not this big, um, you know, vague concept of like, I want to be healthy. It's like, no, 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 tell me, tell me the thing that you want to get better at. Remind me. Remind me. We'll call her Jennifer. Jennifer, remind me of the thing that you want to get better at. And they'll tell you. And, and let's say in this specific context that she starts to list these behaviors that she know will allow her to lose weight. Hey, I wanna get better at um, eating the right foods. I wanna get better at cooking my own meals. I wanna get better at exercising on a regular basis. All the things that, that you and I know are exactly what you do to be healthy. She starts listing those things out. The next part of that first question, why is that important to you? I like to ask Kay on a scale of one to five, five being extremely important, one meaning it's something you read in a book, like what is it for you? And you want that number to be high. If it's low, it's just an abstract concept. It's not something that they really believe that they need. They're just saying it because they think you want to hear it. So you want to be a a goal that is actionable. There's actually behaviors that they could be doing. That's what we're talking about. Secondly, you wanna make sure that it's really important to them. And then lastly, and this is is just a, 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 you know, the silver lining, the fine print. You wanna make sure that the way that they talk about it is something that they can actually control sometimes I'm sitting across from somebody and this is another real person real story. I want to show up to my I want to show up to my 20 year reunion. And I want to make their jaws drop. It's like, hey, you you, you can't actually control how someone reacts to you having lost weight, you can't you, you can't actually control that. And so the, the goal needs to be something that you are um, you are implicitly in charge of. So so if we change that, it would be like, hey, I want I want to show up feeling like I'm as healthy as I possibly can be. It's totally within your control. You can't control somebody else's reaction. So that's number one. There may be a few things that they write out. It's great. Make a little list. We love having moleskins and pins so people can actually see that versus just like the words being spoken and they disappear. So we encourage people to write this out as well. Now that's a pretty easy question. Most people if you've had some type of consultative process, you probably had that question already out in the air, they know that question number two, what are you doing? Or not doing? That undermines that goal? What are you doing or not doing that undermines that goal? So hey, this is what I said I want to do now. And this one's also a little easier we're going we're, we're starting to you know we're starting to clear our nose we're starting to go a little bit deeper. We can still see the surface. we can still see the boat up atop it's not that scary and really, some of this stuff has probably come up as well. Hey, yeah, I actually am not cooking a lot of my meals i'm not making it into the gym as much as I say that I was going to i'm i'm binging i'm eating these foods that I know aren't good for me, and so we're just listing all of those things out. We're listing everything that we're doing, we're listing the things that potentially said that we would do and that we're not doing. And as they start to list that out, make sure that it's exhaustive as much as they can. And in this process, you're starting to slow them down, you're starting to pull them into a more contemplative space. And into a deeper thought process, as they start to and I've seen this happen a lot, as they start to list the things out that they're doing that they shouldn't be doing, shut the hell up, don't say anything. Your tendency, and sometimes theirs I've seen this happen is you start to correct it. It's like, oh well, yeah, I mean the, you know if <laughs> i'll make sure I'll make sure that I order uh." Snap kitchen, um, so I can eat healthy foods. People will start to correct those because because it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to list some of the things that they're doing that, you know, aren't exactly the most positive behaviors that they're doing in a day. But just let it sit. They need to be aware of that because if we interrupt the connection of where we go next, it'll be really hard on the spot for them to. Arrive at the next conclusion that they have. And the next question is if these things you just listed out that you know you're not supposed to do, but you do, if you imagined doing the opposite of those behaviors you just listed, what fears or worries? come up for you? What fears or worries come up for you? Now, usually when you're connected to some things that you don't like, to say, hey, you don't get to do those anymore, I- I've noticed that the answers are sometimes readily available, people just don't wanna say them. But there's no wrong moves here. Sometimes, and this person that I'm talking about, Jennifer, so to speak, she was like, ah, oh, no, no fears, no worries at all, like I feel, I feel pretty good about those things and you know what I just need to try I just need to try harder we're just gonna get in there we're just, we're just gonna we're just gonna do it That was her answer and I said well you know let's let's come back I want you to think about it and and I want you to yeah just sit with that for a while um, looks like we've got about as far as we could get today. Let's go and pick it back up the next time that we meet before she left, she did talk about how great it would feel to fit back into some of her clothes that she wore in college. And she went home that night. And as a way to get herself excited, she started to pull out some of those clothes. And as she pulled out some of those clothes, she realized how far away from that size that she currently was there were some clothes that she uh, had. Uh, she had a belly button ring in college. So she had like some shirts, you know, she she raised her arms up. It's like, you know, she could show off the, the belly button ring. We're talking ring too, not a stud. So that tells you like, you know, the age that she was in college. Anyways, by bringing all these clothes up, she realized that when she was younger, she had really prioritized how she looked. And as certain things had happened in her life, the direction that she took is that she wanted to be taken more seriously, especially as a female. And so what she found out is that if she did the thing that she said was her goal, in other words, if she did the opposite of all the bad behaviors that she was currently doing, it would mean to her that she couldn't take herself seriously. That's what she came up with. So her fear was not being taken seriously. And what that means is that if she was too consumed with her appearance, if she was too consumed with how she looked, then she couldn't take her career seriously enough, that she wouldn't be looked at as a true professional by all the men that predominantly the law firm had in there. Furthermore, she told me that when she looked at the secretaries that wore you know kind of kind of revealing clothes that she also looked down upon them. She looked down upon them as people that didn't take their job seriously and that they were too consumed with their visual appearance and that they didn't have substance as a female so let's pause right there for a sec let's say that you didn't understand any of that about this person let's go back to the typical strategy of goal setting would any amount of me telling her to try harder or get more motivated help her with that thing no furthermore you could say that what she was doing currently was a brilliant way to keep herself from feeling something that she did not want to feel. So when we look at this person, we say, man, she's 30 pounds overweight, must not be very disciplined. This was a brilliant human being that had come up with very effective and disciplined ways of never feeling like she had no substance. It's heartbreaking and it's like beautiful at the same time. So back to our questions. The first one, you figure out what is the thing that we said we care about? Number two, what are you doing instead of that? Number three, if I took that away from you, what would you feel? What are the things that you would be afraid of would happen? What would you be really worried about? In this context with Jennifer, she wanted to lose weight. She was doing a bunch of things that kept her from losing weight. She was doing that to protect herself from feeling like the person that she didn't actually want to feel like. That took no effort from me at all. I didn't do a damn thing but ask her three questions. She came up with all that on her own, and all I was doing was listening, being curious. Oh, what does that mean? Hey, why do you care about that? And to understand what that is, the fears and worries, leads us to... Leads us to the good stuff. If we're scuba diving, this is the deepest part. This is the murky water where neither one of us can see anything. We're just feeling around. But the question is, what are the hidden commitments that you have to yourself? Since you don't wanna feel this way, what have you committed to yourself that you will do? And in the case of Jennifer, I've committed that I won't do anything that makes me feel anything like a superficial woman. So she was incapable of following through with some of those behaviors because it didn't fit into the identity that she had as a named partner of this law firm and a really smart, educated woman. And so the last question is, what's the, what's the big assumption there? Because there's a there's an image, before we get to the big assumption, there's an image, there's a dreaded image that as you ask these questions is conjured up. And for her, when she was younger, she could tell that guys were only looking at her and only talking to her because of the way that she looked. And so the dreaded image of her is that she would step into a work-related event. And if she was the right weight, if she had clothes on that accentuated her figure if she had makeup on then she would be right back to that way of feeling when she was 21 years old so she had made a commitment to herself it was hidden but she had made a commitment that said hey i'm never gonna feel like that again and she was really good at holding herself to that commitment so this person that on the surface would be like oh, they want it better enough she's the exact opposite of that was dialed into that she just had no she had no understanding of that's what was going on now from there that's all theoretical my uh my daughter came in the other day and we were talking about (laughs) that this is going to be random we were talking about time travel and she was like yeah you know time machines don't exist i was like well there are people that believe that time travel is possible. She was like, Word? I was like, Yeah. You know, Einstein. She's like, Daddy, Einstein's not real. I was like, what? No, no, no. He's that's a, that's a real person. She's like, no, he's got a green face, like, that's only at Halloween. I know that's a made-up character. And it took us a couple of minutes of us arguing back and forth to realize that she thought I was talking about Frankenstein. Not Frankenstein, but Einstein. Einstein said that if he had an hour to save the world, he would take 55 minutes to make sure he understood what the problem was. And then the last five minutes, he would figure out the solution. I think it's very much like this right here. It's a lot of time spent just figuring out like what's going on. And then the last few minutes is like, well, well, what do we do from here? And we're so prone to action that it's easy to, it's easy to like skip through a lot of this. And in that second step, it's like, oh, I'll just stop all these bad behaviors. Or you even get to some of the you know, feelings of you know, worry and fear. And you can tell yourself, well, I'll just stop feeling that way. <laughs> but you have to get to this last step, which is to say, I am believing something. I am believing something that, that I think is absolutely true. And your job as the coach, your job as the facilitator is to challenge that. And all it is is to say, hey, you might be right. Jennifer, you might be right that no female can be taken seriously if it looks on the outside as if they only care about their looks. But there's a possibility that you might be wrong. And just entering into that conversation that there's a possibility that that's not 100% true is where the action starts to creep in. Now, the tendency for us, as I said before, is to go right into changing behaviors. But this whole process of going down deep and now now we're coming back up to the surface is to change what it is that we believe about what we saw at the bottom. It's not to come up and and start doing all these different things, not just yet. But if we can change our beliefs, we can change our behaviors. That's the whole point of this. Now, let's take that example here, and we'll tie a little bow on it, and then we can talk about some other things. Is there any person, Jennifer, that you can think of that – is in good shape and is also taken seriously as an attorney? The answer was yes. Can you think of anyone that's in your exact same position across the nation that simultaneously is taken seriously and takes good care of themselves? The answer was yes. Then we have to test some of those big assumptions and some of those big assumptions are, I can't be taken seriously, there's no way that I could Uh, dress a certain way and men um, talk to me the right way and so we did we did some easy experiments And, and one experiment was I want you to wear something that you feel really pretty in and I want you to go up to the secretaries and I want you to go up to the named partners and I want you to bring attention to the clothes that you have on And I want you to see how they react. And if there's anybody that still takes you seriously, then it means that that assumption that all the time, no one takes you seriously, isn't actually true. And that didn't land exactly like we wanted to the first time. But the point here is that we kept trying, we kept iterating, we kept doing little experiments to to field test some of these assumptions. And it came back that the assumption just wasn't actually true. And then from there, you just start to work your way back. Like, hey, if this thing I believe isn't always true, what does that mean about these these hidden commitments that I've had to myself? It's like, well, I, I don't have to have them. If I don't have to have these hidden commitments to myself, then these bad behaviors, they actually seem silly. They seem unjustified. And if the bad behaviors seem unjustified, then it'll become much more doable, to actually lean to the thing that we said that we cared about that's on the surface, you know, I'll give an example where I don't have to change the names, or the circumstances, I'll just talk about myself. And it's not it's not fitness related. But I think all of us can look at some thing in our life and say, Man, something going on here, I'm stuck. I'm stuck and I don't know why. And for me, in the past, it's actually been improved around uh, managing money. I'll say some things, some some words will come out of my mouth like, "Yeah, I'm just, I'm just not good with money." And if you heard that, you'd be like, "Well, yeah, that kind of checks out. It goes with this personality." But there's something that's a lot deeper there. There's something a lot deeper than we'll just read read Dave Ramsey's Money Makeover book or read, you know, I'll teach you how to be rich. I've read all that stuff. Re- reading is not the limiting factor here, but I find myself in the past at times incapable of doing something that I know is good, right? And so when I look at my own bad behaviors, there's an avoidance. There's an avoidance of wanting to be face to face with as uh, someone in the fitness industry, not making millions of dollars. Um, there's there's a procrastination at times, um, and it's not even things that I can't afford. It's like a like a toll bill. Like I'll procrastinate paying that because I don't I don't want to I don't want to be face to face with you know something that that means I. I don't have as much money anymore as I started to list some of these bad behaviors out. Here's one that came up. I spend money on my children to show them that they're loved. So instead of saving, I spend it on Kelly and my kids as a way to show love. And that was interesting, right? So it took it took like some it took some introspection. It took some time to get to that point. And so, you know, using that example we said before, hey, say that you took that away from me. Say that you took away the ability to spend money on my kids to, to create these special experiences and to show them that they're loved. What would I be afraid of if you took that away? I would be afraid that they wouldn't love me. I would be afraid that I didn't have any other way to show them that. Now, look. My childhood wasn't Oliver Twist. I had a great childhood. But that thing I just talked about is exactly what I experienced when I was a kid. My parents did the exact same thing to me. Kelly, who grew up in a wonderful home, parents are still married, she experienced the same thing. So not only was I afraid of that, but I was afraid that I couldn't I couldn't uphold these expectations that I that I had for myself that I inherited from my parents. And yeah, deep desire to like not not feel those things. So if that was the fear and the worry, what was I really good at? I was world-class at never feeling any of that. I was world-class at never feeling like I was an inadequate father, never feeling like I didn't have enough money because I just either avoided it or I just flat out didn't think about it. I didn't want to feel those things so I did everything that I could to never feel those things. And just recognizing that was, was really helpful but then I took it one level deeper and we talked earlier about like the dreaded image and I had in my head, I had this stupid ass, no offense mom and dad, I had this stupid ass little box that had three portions and I would get money for chores and I had one for spending, one for tithing, and then one for saving. And my parents lorded over me with this stupid box to make sure I put the money in there, and I hated it. I hated everything about this. And I think even a deeper commitment I had to myself is to never feel that same pressure around money that I did when I was a kid. And so I just told myself that I'll never ever think about it. Now getting to that level mean that there was a hidden commitment. I was committed to enjoying myself. I was committed to never feeling like my parents' child. I was committed to never feeling like a, an inadequate provider. And I was committed to never letting other people find out. Now the big assumptions there is that, and even as I say this stuff, it's like, it sounds so stupid, but I just wanna take you through a personal thought process that even as I say these things, it's like, man, I can test that very easily. I assume that if I thoughtfully spent, I would be miserable. Like that was a deep unconscious thought in my mind. I assume that if I did anything that was modeled in my childhood, that I would become my parents. And my parents are great. But you know, as a kid, it's like you want to set off on your own, your own trajectory, your own journey. And then a big one is that I assume that everybody else manages money perfectly, and I'm the only one that that likes to spend money. And the one that was probably the deepest is I assume that my kids won't love me unless I spend money on them. And that's the one that I tested that had the greatest result. First, I had to come up with a list of things that didn't cost money that I thought would be valuable to them. And it turns out the list is very long. It turns out, when I asked Kelly, whose dad was very successful, what are the things she said in the podcast right here? What are the things that you valued the most? She didn't mention trips. She didn't mention any gifts. She mentioned time. She mentioned attention. She mentioned love. And those things, I mean, I guess you could say that time is money and and then that costs something, But but those things, Turns out you don't have to go to TCBY for. Her. Turns out you don't have to go to the toy store for. Her. And that process right there changed my life.
1: I used to do the same thing.
0: Mm. Yeah, with my, money?
1: Yeah. my. Yeah. So I, I grew up with, my parents had a made plenty of money, mm-hmm. but had a scarcity mindset around it. And yeah. Things would get tight. Yeah. It was very well communicated. Hey, it's peanut butter and Frosted Flakes this week. And they, I would I'd give them credit because they, they made fun with it. Like it was like, oh yeah, we're eating popcorn, but why are we only eating popcorn? And like now, I look back, I'm like, we had no money. Mm-hmm. Yet, the next month, my mom would roll up in a brand new Lexus that she just leased, and I'm mm-hmm. like, wait, I need soccer cleats, mm-hmm. but we didn't have any money for it. But now you have new wheels in the driveway. Um, but. Taking that into my marriage and especially in the first couple of years, I was the same way. It was like when rent would come out, when we had to think about rent, it was like there's under a thousand dollars in there, we we need to lock it down. We're we're survival mode. But I would still find a way to like get Sophia something to to make sure, like to make it seem like everything was good. Mm-hmm. She literally could not care less.
0: Yeah, you know, even asking your spouse is like, and I got I got another little story that's not money-related, but, <laughs> but it's it's spousal-related. Even just like spelling that big assumption out to them, they can throw that thing in the trash can really quick. Hey, I'm afraid that if we do this, this is how you're going to feel. And they're like, what? <laughs> yeah. Years have gone by without ever bringing that up. And when you You're finally bring it up, <laughs> you finally bring it up, you realize it was never an issue in the first place. Yeah. It's so never much an issue.
2: Smaller in the first than thing. you realize when you actually just so much smaller. something to yeah. somebody else.
1: How do you think that relates? Like going back to Jennifer, like you give these little things so much power. Like I don't know why I'm thinking. Uh, you ever seen the Instagram page Nature Is Metal? Oh yeah, dude. There was one. I, I I can see if I can go back and find it. But there are these dudes scaling an iceberg. It was just floating, and apparently it's a thing to, like, surf down them, and you, like, glide into the water with these kayaks. And so they were going up, and it got to a point where this thing started tipping over. It was, like, just enough weight. The iceberg? The whole iceberg. Oh, And it was crazy because, you know, your analogy, you could see, like, how much more was below than what you could see up top. And this thing just straight up flipped on them. And I'm wondering, with your analogy, if the fear-based is – if there's anything else added to what I feel safe with, if my whole world is just gonna flip upside down on top of me. Cause it seems like insecurity rooted in a bunch of different things that ultimately they, they wanna remain in control of. Cause they probably feel safe with these assumptions.
0: Yeah, I, somebody um, that I really respect, he said, hey, <laughs> nobody's special, but we're all unique. And to put that in this context, the reasons that someone would be afraid are finite, right? Fear of not being good enough, fear of somebody getting hurt, fear of not being loved, you you know, fear of, of abandonment, you know, all, all these things, they're, they're not special. And if we whittle all this stuff down, like most of the time, that's, what's going to come up. But what's unique is how they got there from the beginning and, and what, what parts of their biography led them to that. And so your story, even though we may get to something that like all of humanity has as a part of their depravity, the way that you got there is gonna be uniquely yours. And I think that's why it's so interesting to be a coach is because you may have some strong assumptions about how this is gonna look, but you have no idea, like I had no idea that she was gonna say that stuff. And it's beautiful. So the, the question is, the question's what? Like why, why do we make those things so much bigger?
1: Yeah, it's like what, what is it about adding something new where you, you know it's the right move? Mm-hmm. It's like when your car, all four tires are flat and you show up to get new tires and you're like, I have to be able to drive, but Mm -hmm. you're in there to get tires. And then you're like, no, I can ride on the rims for a little bit longer. (laughs) Like what, what is it about that? Is it, is it the cost? Is it, what if the tires aren't going to last long enough? What if they, you know, what if I have another blowout right after I get new ones? Like what is it about the adding this, seemingly simple activity to your day to day. Is it like the fear of like not being good at it because you're already really good at these other things? Because it in a sense it's like very vulnerable to mm-hmm. like I'm out of shape. I'm getting back into fitness. I used to I used to do fitness mm-hmm. but like I know I'm gonna be really, really sore and probably not coordinated like I used to be. Is it the fear of it, the insecurity of like being judged or
0: I want to think that every time so so what do we do with this just just personally every time that you see yourself with a set of behaviors that don't match up there's something there's something underneath that as soon as you say like well I'm not going to replace my tires I'm right on the rims like why would I do that and to use a car analogy it's like the foot on the gas is the one that you can see it's like hey we're moving forward this is the thing we need to do but there's a there's an unconscious foot on the brake. Like every time it's not going in the direction that it really should or there's like resistance there, that's a good way to describe it. There's there's something going on.
1: So it's like con- wanting to remain in control of it. I think
0: so. And and I know for a lot of us it's like we don't we don't want to feel things that are unpleasant. We're really good It's like the immune system, right? The immune system isn't something that we we see going on and we feel shame for (laughs) (laughs) at least I don't think you're just like, well, that's my body like fighting something off. And this is like a psychological immune system. It's like a psychological protection against feeling things that don't feel very good. And you know, the brain's this wildly messy and complicated organ that can hold simultaneous things. I mean, that's a crazy part of the brain, right? The brain can hold, simultaneously different concepts at the same time This is just what we're talking about right um, and the difference between like <clears throat> animals and us you know uh, a, a little kitty can become a cat with all the things that a cat can do and it doesn't have to like journal about it <laughs> but because of these brains that we have it's not just a process of like becoming we have to most of the time like deal with all of this stuff that's underneath and no amount of like david goggins or you know hard work pays off or you know like just do it like no amount of that is going to make the least bit of difference if this is going on the only way the only way to address it is to actually address like what it is and it's like pearson says it's like hey you got to go into the cave with where the dragon is like you have to do the thing that you don't want to do but i found that what we've built up in our head back to what you were saying especially as it relates to others and oftentimes that it is if you can run some little traps, if you can run some little tests, it's not quite as devastating as you, you think it's going to be. And a, a real example is that um, another thing that happens a lot is, you know, two people are married and one person really wants to change and the other does not. It's very common. You know, it's a little bit of what Kelly and I talked about the other day. One person will start to do things that are healthy behaviors and the other person will spiral. It's real. So a couple whose names I I won't even like give pretend names for, this had happened over and over again. It was like this broken record where he would decide that he really wanted to lose weight and she would, as soon as he started changing, start to go into a depressive spiral And so we went through this whole process, and that was the big assumption that we arrived at. If I start to get healthy, it's going to negatively affect my spouse. And I said, hey, have you ever had a conversation about this? Oh, no. This is is not something that we talk about. So have you ever told your wife that this is something that's really important to you and that you're really afraid that if you do this, It's going to result in a strain on your marriage. It's like, no, I've never thought of that. And an example of a behavior that he would participate in and then shut off is he would ask his wife to go for a walk. And as soon as he mentioned that it was like he was bringing up how she didn't care about exercise. And then she would go into that um, depressive mode and then he would not go on a walk out of love to her i mean how how weird and like messy are we as human beings like out of love to her he wouldn't go on a walk because he didn't want to do something that would negatively impact her That's a good man and this is the conversation that they had with very, very little direction from me. I was just listening and, you know, acting like a kid with these questions. Like, why, why couldn't you talk about that? Oh, what's wrong with walking by yourself? <laughs> and what he ended up telling his wife is like, I'm so committed to to trying to improve that I'm I'm going to go for these walks. And if you want to join me, that's great. But if you don't, join me, I'm still going to go for this walk. And my fear is that it's going to put you into this place that isn't good for you. But I've realized that I I can't, I can't really control that completely. And he said that. And she she had a reaction like you think that she would. And then he went on the walk, and he'd never done that before. And then when he got back, he was in a better mood. And when he got back, she was in a better mood. And these two people have lost like 100 pounds between the two of them. And they would tell you today that their relationship's better than it's ever been. I'm not telling you that because I think I had anything to do with it than ask questions. But it was amazing how the thing that he thought was his worst fear, with a little bit, and he didn't say it as eloquently is is probably we can imagine. I think he stumbled through it. I think it was touch and go for a while. But it wasn't this taboo topic that he had built up in his head that was going to end his marriage. And it turns out, it was a good thing,
2: it's just being afraid of change. At the end of the day, like all change is going to be scary, no matter what, like with fitness or relationship stuff, like just making those little adjustments, that's going to as an individual better yourself, Like you said, like with the relationship stuff, like he goes on that walk. The result is he feels better. He goes on that walk. The result is she feels better. They come together. Now it's not in the back of his head that Mm -hmm. she might be depressed. She might be sad. Like now it's like now we can have this open dialect or whatever you guys do at the end of the day to unwind instead of it being this like such tense thing because you're afraid to go walk for 20 minutes or you're afraid to Mm -hmm. verbalize that to that person instead of just. You know, like you have to do what's going to be helpful to you. Like mm-hmm. you're an individual still mm-hmm. regardless of this partnership that you're in with somebody else. So
0: Yeah, I think that's very uh, another one of those things is like, hey, nobody's special. Something that comes up a lot is I'm not going to like who I become if I do this thing. If I'm overweight and I lose the weight. Will people really like me? Because when you're overweight, and this, these are not my, my words. This is somebody else. When you're overweight, you know why people are judging you. If you're in great shape and people still don't like you, how are you going to deal with that? You got, you got nothing to come back to. That happens a lot.
2: It's the fear of the unknown.
0: It's, it's deep down, I'm not going to have any excuse why I'm not worthy of love and that's
2: wild it's like the big person that you like the person you just said someone who's overweight like they in the back of their head they think everyone hates them they think everyone thinks that they're calling them fat or mm-hmm. look at his look at this look at that and he has no idea what they're thinking about mm-hmm. and I feel like everybody can kind of relate to that in some way you probably walk like I walk into a room and I see 20 people turn their head and I freak out inside like what are they thinking about me and yeah it's like no one yeah, no one can give two shits what you what you look like. No one cares about what you're doing. Like
1: mm-hmm. they're not thinking
2: about <laughs> they're not thinking about you as much as you probably realize it. And then
1: unless you have a booger in your nose,
2: like a <laughs> lot of those changes. Like if you do lose the weight, they're gonna like you. Like maybe that's maybe the weight's not the issue. Like if they still hate you after you lost the weight, maybe that's not the problem. You know, like there is it's mm-hmm. like what you've been saying. Like it is a deeper level to go than just my appearance. Or like when you uh, mentioned Jennifer earlier, like putting on that clothes to go get. That attention, like, doesn't matter. That stuff doesn't matter. It's mm-hmm. Kind of.
0: Yeah, it's deep. There's a, uh, I don't know why I know this. There's a French <laughs> philosopher. What's his name? Jean-Paul Sartre. Can you say S-A- the French accent? Sartre, S-A-T-R-E. <laughs> uh, he said that hell is other people. Mm. And he had this thought experiment. that's like you're walking, you're walking through an empty mall, and you think it's empty. And then you see somebody looking at you. What do you do and then you turn you realize it's a mannequin every human being did something when they thought that was a real person and part of that is just I think biologically how we're wired right like we're to the to the deepest part of our DNA we're wired to be socially acceptable creatures and at some point in our biography something happened true or false but something happened where we told ourselves that the moral of that story is that we weren't and that's deep, right? That's in the limbic system.
1: Is that, is that like conditioning from your parents? Like the, would you say it's the fear of being misunderstood?
0: I think uh,
1: it's like, I think about, I I think about my, my son, Mm-hmm. Who's just getting he's he'll he'll be three mm-hmm. and I had to unlearn a lot of parenting skills and tactics that I inherited from my parents. It was listen to me the first time and just do it, mm-hmm. and I'm holding him to an expectation that adults can't even follow, yeah, right yeah, and then <laughs> my wife as gracious and patient as she is, she was like, hey, what if you tried to understand him and where he's coming, like level with him before trying to fix him? Because what you're doing is you're trying to just make it more convenient for yourself. Mm -hmm. And that was like the biggest aha moment for me. And I would say probably a month ago, all of the the inconveniencing paid off because he got in the car after I picked him up and he goes, I'm frustrated. And I was like, Okay, what are you frustrated about, bud? Someone took a toy from me and they bit me at school. And I was like, okay, well what did you do? he's like, well, I took it back. I was like, hell yeah. Good for you, buddy. But also <laughs> like I've never heard you express how you feel before and it makes me think of Jennifer as like you build up these like stories of why you think you are the way you are, or why you have these these roadblocks, mm-hmm. and you can't even verbalize how or why you feel these ways about them. And for me, like I, I have someone who's very close to me, I see him parent, and it's the exact opposite about mm-hmm. how we parent. Mm-hmm. And would, that's the golden rule: is like you never tell somebody else how to parent because I don't have it figured out either, but. I see the results that he gets from his child, and it's always first name, middle name, look me in the eyes, say yes, sir. And it's like a dictatorship, and they have zero respect for each other. Mm. And it's like that, that's, you see where that goes. And it's like, yeah, you wanna feel close to this person that you created, but like you're not talking to him and cultivating a way where he can even understand or manage his emotions and like what does that look like in his 20s or in his 30s if you continue down this path like you're you're shaping an uh, a, a being that's not emotionally intelligent and then they get into the workplace and they're just mad because they're mad they don't even know why or they're overweight from all of these other things or they're severely underweight from these things and they, mm-hmm. they can't even put it into words mm-hmm. it, like do you think that starts at a young age
0: well, let's test that big assumption. And the assumption is, hey, everybody that has a tough childhood, do they grow up to have problems? And the answer is no. Everybody that had a great childhood, did they get out of jail free? The answer is no. And so I think, I think regardless of what your upbringing looked like, sure sure we could say that there's a set of circumstances that would be a much harder set of circumstances to overcome but i don't think that one can demand the other and so you could say hey nobody gets out of childhood without some messed up story in their head and and so why is that well it's because we're not we're not taking this thing that's that's fuzzy and unclear and trapping it on paper we're not at 8 um, being like, hey man, let's let's go let's go have coffee, <laughs> let's go have coffee and work this out, right? There's there's no there's no platform, there's no even opportunity to do that. And a lot of times, you know, back to kids, it's like I'll ask my kids like, hey, what are you feeling? And every time I do that, it's a good question to ask. But every time I ask that, I'll be like, how the hell do they know? I don't even know how I'm feeling half the time. Yeah. And so this thing, it's hard, and it's there because as it's happening I don't even think that we know it's happening I hadn't thought about that money box in 35 years so how was I supposed to know what type of impact that would have when it was there so I think you know as best as we can do we realize like hey these things that happen to you they're gonna creep up I think look for any inconsistencies that are happening in your own behavior, and then someone else, if that's the case, chill. Don't be like, come on, man, you really need to try harder. It's like, okay, there's something going on. What could it be? And then, you know, you take your Speedo off, you put your scuba gear on, and you start start clearing. And you just go a little deeper and be like, hmm, that's interesting. Go a little deeper. Ooh, I'm feeling it. Like in my gut. Oh, that feels really uncomfortable to write that down. It feels really uncomfortable to say that out loud. Probably on the right track. And I feel like being a self-actualized adult just means that you have to constantly be checking in to deal with that stuff. But it doesn't mean, yeah, I think there's things that we inherit from our parents, good and bad. I think it's a natural um maturation to want to potentially do things differently than your parents did, good or bad. It's just different, right? It's not it's not like, hey, you sucked, I'm great. It's like, hey, I wanna I wanna forge out on my own path. I mean, I feel like that's a natural stage of being an adult.
2: And you gotta so- just like figure out with your like with the, talking about the stuff you said about your parents, like I've had this conversation with you. Yeah. Caleb was here. Like, you kind of realize, like, no matter what you feel like was really shitty growing up, or you, you know, you might think it was really that bad. You just got to kind of realize, like, everybody's parents. That I feel like you guys as well. Like, you're doing kind of, you're doing the best that you know how to do. You're not really. There's no guide to life. There's no guide to parenting. There's no guide to anything. It's just kind of you're doing the best that you know how to do, and then being able to kind of verbalize those things, you realize that a lot of it is kind of silly. I remember we had that conversation here and some of the stuff that I would say out loud that like my dad had said to me was like, just kind of sounds dumb. Not sounds dumb, but it's like, that's the best he knew how to do.
0: Mm.
2: That doesn't need to define me. Mm -hmm. And the way that I go about things now doesn't need to be reflective of what happened in the past. like things change like mm-hmm. he did mm-hmm. the best he could like you don't really need to oh they told me I was a failure this thing. like maybe he thought that was really going to motivate you maybe he was coming from a really good place and you don't know and you might not ever know and it's just kind of dealing with that and mm-hmm. progressing forward with yourself and being able to realize like the older you get like I'm barely figuring this out now but like the older you get that everything you're kind of afraid of really isn't as scary it's more yeah. just kind of it's new, it's different, like, it's stepping into a gym. Never stepped into one before, it's gonna be different. It's gonna be, probably, might be shitty. It's gonna be fun, but it's gonna be scary. Mm-hmm. Like, you guys have a kid for the first time. I don't have a kid, I have a dog. So, I don't know how that feels, but I would imagine it's probably scary, it's not probably- that
1: far off, man. <laughs> you gotta take that thing, Pete.
2: <laughs> I the la- when the last episode we had with uh, Chad, he was talking about you train Trek to catch that Frisbee. Every week since then, Sonny and I go out in the backyard. <laughs> I tell him, sit. Uh-huh. I change it from five seconds to 10 seconds to 15 seconds, and he waits. And then I throw the ball, say, go. Slowly gets it every week. And it's like, there's like the little bit of change. Like, think about it from a dog's perspective. He wasn't afraid of it. Wasn't afraid of any change. He just knew, if I wait, I get that ball. It's kind of like with all the goals you set in your life, you kind of, not necessarily wait. Like, you still have to make stuff happen, but... Mm-hmm when you kind of verbalize it out loud and you hear the things that you're telling yourself in your head that your brain is telling you are negative, you kind of realize they're kind of stupid and it's not as deep or it's not as serious as you're probably making Mm -hmm. the whole situation out to be.
1: At what age does that that fear kick in? Because like, I don't know why I just thought of this, but how many times have you been to a playground with your kids and you see a lot of them try to go up the slide the wrong way an adult, like, that scares me. I'm like, I'm going to fall. But what is it about a kid they can just try to run up a slide with zero fear, knowing that they're not getting up there? Maybe some of them, depending on your shoes. But, like, when does that stop? Because I feel like that's kind of the point of of what we're getting at, is, like, starting something new or trying something different. They don't, they don't look at the slide and think, well, I probably shouldn't do this because I'll fall backwards and hit my head. They're like... Let's see if it works. Let's see if I can get up to the top with all the other kids trying to slide down simultaneously. Like what 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 happens to I guess like where we self-limit or we self-edit.
0: You know, I won't I won't answer this in like from a, you know, clinical perspective or research, but just having kids I noticed that when we read books they could handle things conceptually that were above their pay grade. So we could read things that I remember as a kid like scaring me to death and I'm reading it. I was like, all right, here we go. Example, cause it's Christmas, Christmas Carol, Jacob Marley and the ghost of Christmas yet to come scared the ever living crap out of me as a kid. But I didn't read the book. I watched all these movies went to a live play so I think for kids like the concept of being imperfect it takes time for that to set in Mm. and when they're young there's no it's it's abstract even if you talk about it as we read about it like it just doesn't it doesn't sink in but um, even with movies like we'll watch something and now this is wild it's movies that they have seen and there are parts like the rodents of unusual size and the princess bride, like the eels, have y'all seen that movie? Mm-mm. The, clear your calendar, y'all you watched it this weekend. <laughs> little, little, little parts of the movie where I remember as a kid, I was like, oh man, this, this scared me. And I'm watching them, they're like this, <laughs> nothing. But as they get older, mm. it starts to scare them more as they see the world as this imperfect place where, where things are harder, things become scarier to them. And that's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking and it's, you know, like I said earlier, it's like beautiful at the same time where they'll say like, hey, I, I don't really wanna watch that part. It's like, okay, I'm, I'm learning at the same time that they're learning. I'm learning that, it, and I thought it was gonna be the opposite. I thought they'd be really scared as kids and then they get braver as they got older. But, like, as they get older, they're becoming aware of what life's really like. Like, they're becoming aware that it's scarier and it's harder and it's more real than they just imagined when they were a kid. And so, back to what you said before, and we talked about this a little bit with Kel, um, you know, I feel like my responsibility is not to. Demand respect from them or be like, you know, look me in the eye when I'm talking to you. But it's just to meet them exactly where they're at. And encourage them, I mean, literally to infuse them with courage, not in a naive way, like the kid going up the slide was like, I don't know what could happen. But it's like, hey, you know exactly what's going to happen and we're still going to do it. And that's uh, a It's like the coolest part of being a parent agreed. Yeah.
1: What's the uh what's the call to action for all the Jennifers, potential <sighs> Jennifers out there? Cuz it seems like, I mean, obviously we've been talking behavior the majority of the time and just like the relationship with with our behavior just like with our thoughts. So I mean, you helped her understand and like what do you encourage other coaches out there who are starting to jump on this same journey of not trying to fix people, but rather understand them and help this potential client understand themselves so that they can be on the long journey, the long road ahead.
0: Man, for the Jennifers, shout out to all the Jennifers. Jennifers. (laughs) I I would want you to hear that there's nothing wrong with you, that what you've done has been an incredibly effective way to keep yourself safe. But now that thing that has kept you safe is getting in the way of who it is that you potentially could be. And who you potentially could be is somebody that can handle the things that you've been scared of. And this process of discovery, this process of a, an inquiry, can take as long as you want, but it's not gonna be found with more willpower or more vision boards or more people telling you to suck it up. And once you can wrap your head around there, I think that you can change your beliefs. That's a beautiful thing about being an adult versus a dog. You know, like you can change the way that you think about something. And once you do that, then this thing that you think is impossible is not quite as hard as you think to the coach, man, be willing to go deep like you can't. And and that's the thing I would want to end with. You can't force somebody to answer these questions. But you can sit across the table, you can take deep breaths, you can be really interested in what they're saying, you can ask follow-up questions of what they're not saying. And you can just let them know that like, hey, you're somebody that can be trusted. And if you do that, I think that you as a coach can feel a lot more successful. I wish somebody had told me this 15 years ago, it would have saved hours of me banging my head up against the wall hours of me being cynical, hours of me feeling like I wasn't good at my job when I realized it was just a different skill set scene.